0: Good morning, 906 here on WBEN. I'm BMAS and Beamer. I'm, you know, I might I might change the name of the show um, again. I, I'm i going to change it. BMAS and Beamer and The Rock. Because it's like equally as true, right? I mean, <laughs> I might as well. BMAS and Beamer and John Travolta here on WBEN. Um, but uh, both of them are off today. It's only me, right? I can say that. Uh, no, you'll hear from Joe later on this afternoon. He's in for Bowerly. Again, it is Brian Mazurowski here with you until about 10 o'clock this morning. I thank you for being with me. Thank you for listening yesterday, uh, the show yesterday, the calls, the comments. Uh, was much appreciated. I you know, do want to clarify again. I feel like I need to do this all the time. Uh, and this is more, I, you know, maybe it's less about me. It's more about the state of media. Uh, the one thing I don't want, right, is everybody to be confused about uh, something I said yesterday or say today. Because, you know, all across the media landscape, whether it's something you read online, uh, see on uh, a show on TV, I feel like everyone is presenting their opinions as the answer. You know, everyone's got that firm foot down. Um, this is the only way. You know, I just want to say that that's not what you're going to get from me. I, I'm not saying anything that, uh, you know, I'm going to stand here and say, look, this is the only way. Um, if you don't think this, you're wrong. Or, it, you know, this is the cause of that, especially when it comes to these topics that we've been talking about over the last week and a half. I, I think that's irresponsible. A lot of times, um, you know, I think it's picking sides. Um, so I, you know, I just want to clarify again. You know, yesterday's show. I'm not saying that paying attention to your kids at the playground is the answer to, you know, stopping this from happening. All I'm trying to say is, you know, maybe that's a step in the right direction. You know, maybe there are things that we can do by looking internally at ourselves instead of always pointing at. You know the government to solve our problems. You know that's that's kind of my way of looking at things. You know what can I do immediately before I start to look to someone in some government office to address the problem? Which you, you know, eventually, that's not to say you don't get there. It's not to say you don't ask, and you don't eventually look for the people you elect to help out your society, but. I think that's my approach. That's what a lot of yesterday was about looking inward. You know, what can I do first and foremost to have a little bit of impact on this American crisis? You know, maybe that's a step in the right direction. Um, What happens in the home? You know, paying attention to kids to prevent that problem, isolation, social alienation, that anger toward those around you a lack of positive emotional outlets, all these things that are causing this. Uh, 803-0930 is the number to join me again today, 803-0930. And, you know, I think, and I was encouraged yesterday, I think this is a place where you can kind of have a respectful, measured, measured is the word that I like, conversation about this where we're not, diving into the finger pointing. And if that sounds like you, 8030930 is uh, the place to join me. I'd encourage you to do so today. But all those things, you know that I mentioned and we talked a lot about yesterday, isolation, social alienation, anger, lack of uh, an outlet, a positive outlet to let go of some of these emotions. I think these all play a part in the problem that we've been talking about. And I, you know, there's, I'm not alone in saying that by far. Uh, New York Post, today, an opinion piece, Maureen Callahan writing, Our greatest public health crisis is the angry young American male. Uh, And we talked about that today with some of our guests. Steve McMartin in studio, Aaron Katursky uh, certainly who's been following this story and the story of just about all of these shootings. It's the profile. It's a young man troubled, isolated, who when people look back, they don't say, I'm shocked. Uh, John Cohen yesterday, we heard him again earlier this morning, saying, Right, It's not necessarily the ideology, it's the methodology or something to that effect. You know, the Buffalo shooter was a racist. That was a hate crime. But does anyone truly believe that if it wasn't racism, it wouldn't have been something else? That... You know, that was the ideology that he fell into. But it could have easily been something else that he fell into, that he found online, that drove him to do this. And, you know, that I think is part of the root of the problem that we have here. Uh, But, you know, I appreciate the response measured. Interested in an answer, not playing the soap opera as how I described it yesterday. And, you know, I was thinking about it more after we went off the air yesterday, is how difficult it can be, you know, putting myself in the shoes of parents of people who are in these households, how difficult it can be to say something. Another thing we talked about earlier this morning, that it's easy for us after the fact to say, well, how come you didn't say something? How come you didn't uh, notice what's going on in your house? Uh, I was thinking about this yesterday after we got off the air, that it's it's kind of like a long-term pattern in parenting that is easily kind of slipped into, right? For a long time, I think what's happened in a lot of households is there's kind of this idea that, and it's not an idea that you you know, are actively thinking, but I think it's just kind of in your head, right? That If someone, if one of your kids is spending all their time inside, you know, they're on the computer, they're on their phone, whatever it is, well, you know, that's good maybe because then they're not out getting into trouble or, or putting themselves in danger. And, you know, I don't, maybe you don't like it, He's up in his room. He's playing video games all the time, or he's doing something like that. But, you know, to the parent, well, I don't have to worry about it because what would really be worrying is if he's out there at 16, 17 years old, driving all around town and, you know, doing who knows what. You know, that's what traditionally you're kind of scared of. I think it's really easy to fall into that and think, right, you're, you're safe inside the home. But then, you know, things change. The information superhighway, right? And that's only like 20 years old. So, you know, this isn't like a finger pointing at parenting or anything like that. I I think it's very hard to keep up the things that you're used to thinking. Uh, It's hard to keep up with the advent of technology, Eight oh three oh nine thirty to join me. Uh, Shelby is in Buffalo. Shelby, you're on W B E N. How are you this morning?
1: Hi, very good, thank you.
0: What's on your mind?
1: Well, I just wanted to jump in. On I was very happy to hear some positive comments being made this morning. Um, obviously, this these young murderers um, are doing terrible damage. They've done terrible damage to our black communities and also to our white communities and broken all of our hearts. But why are they, at the age of 18, being able to be swayed by the media this much? Do they not have a sense of value? So it's very hard for parents to give kids a sense of value at 18. You know, we've done just about all we can do for them when when they get to be that age, But I do think that the school districts could do more in a certain way. We should not only be pointing kids towards being Harvard grads, going to Yale and and going to Cornell or getting or even going to a four year college and not having a sense of value if they can't even graduate as a senior. Um, When they get to be a senior, they need to feel valued by society even if they're not going to go to college. We need to make sure that these kids all are in some kind of a field that that society values them. They, they feel like, okay, I'm going to be a welder, and I'm good at it, and I'm going to make good money at it, um, and I'm going to get um, a pension or a 401K or whatever. Um, so I, I do think it might be good for the schools to try to change we need to love these kids all of them and 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 make them feel valued yeah shelby i i wanted to get on that and
0: in on that with you i appreciate the call i appreciate the comment thank you for listening i i think it's a good point um you know that's it's something we've talked about in a different context I, i think a lot before right you know college isn't for everybody and and maybe missing from that conversation is what happens to those kids who, you know, realize that it might not be for me. And then they're trying to find something else. And it's a little bit harder to find something else, to find a sense of purpose in the world. I, um, I think part of that, too, is you mentioned schools. I think part of that is surrounding yourself with good people. It's great to have great friends, too. Um, and friends who are supportive of no matter what it is. I, I mean, you know, I think back to around when I was that age. I had, I knew people who were going to big colleges, people who dropped out in senior year, friends with all of them, and I, I always try to have that reaction. You know, whatever you're trying to do, whatever you're trying to get into, you know, that's great. That's awesome. You know, it sounds great know, what are you doing? You know, taking interest and not writing people off. I think that, yeah, that that does have a little bit of something to do with it. Um, You know, a sense of purpose, something else to get into. Uh, Video games is something that keeps getting mentioned. And I do want to, you know, before we get back to the phones, I do want to comment on this as another thing I was thinking about last night, and it kept coming up on our text board this morning. You know, violent video games, something like that. And I think maybe too much attention when you talk about video games is on the the violent aspect of it. And I can see why that is. I, you know, I personally don't really think when you're talking about video games as an issue, I don't think the issue is any worse whether it's the most violent game in the world or whether it's, you know, tennis on a video game. I think the the point of these games is, you know, when I was a teenager, a lot of you listening out there, when you might have played video games, when you played games with other people, you played games with a friend, what did you do? You had to go over to the friend's house. (laughs) You you were still together. Even though your eyes might have been glued to the screen, you you, you were still together playing games. It was still kind of a, a social thing. And now that's not the case. Now playing video games with people, it's it's all on. You know, you could talk to nobody and be playing with everybody. Um, and uh, you know, when you talk about the video game point, you know, it's again one of these things where, I, all right, I'll listen to your point on video games. I think the direction uh, that you're you're taking this is a little, I don't know. You know, maybe less attention on the violence aspect. Even though I'm not saying that that doesn't matter, more attention on the isolation aspect of this. It's just a thought as, you know, so many people are chiming in and and weighing in and wanting to say video games, video games, video games. I'm assuming it's because that's what you're seeing in your household. Sarah in Buffalo, you're on WBEN. Sarah, what's going through your mind this morning?
2: Hi. Hi. Um a clinical psychologist and and I've had 25 years of experience working with all kinds of children and young adults boys and girls and the I, I just wanted to say it's completely obvious the the Buffalo shooting was definitely racial hatred hundred percent but as I think about the Sandy Hook Newtown shooting and, and I have been thinking about this for many, many, many years, why that happened. Innocent little children were killed. And as I think about this Uvalde shooting, um, I start to think about and put together all the pieces. What do these juvenile delinquents and antisocial shooters, what do they have in common? Many of them were, were neglected abused as kids, this uh, man, 18-year-old in Uvalde, happened to be raised or basically not raised very well or much at all by a grandma who probably could not supervise him. She probably could not take care of him. He was described as a loner that had problems since he was a child, a speech impediment for which he was bullied for. And most likely he became stunted in his development as that bullied child and bullied young boys dream of taking revenge. He has always, always probably dreamed of hurting people, and that is why he's been able to very, very tragically vilify young children and was never taught to respect children because they were children innocent children and learn how to get along with people he was he was stunted in this bullying phase of his life i see this all the time as i um perform therapy with with uh young adults that are in their teens and 20s and they always hearken back to those years in middle school that they were bullied and quote upon quote No one helped me. My mom didn't care. My grandma didn't care. I hated those kids. I hear this all the time. This is no justification to what a boy like this did. No justification at all. It was horrific. But I do not believe that anyone knew what what his life was probably like as a young person being grown up by uh, raised by a grandma who probably did not have the capacity to attend to his disturbed psychological needs.
0: Sarah, I I hate to interrupt you. Sorry, but just what in your experience, Okay, you've worked uh, in this field, being able to point somebody toward a positive, emotional outlet toward that. I think, you know, I'll use myself as an example. Uh, You know, as a teenager, I um, love going to, you know, hardcore punk rock shows. And you know what everyone um, looks at and sees? Uh, They see a lot of angry young kids. A lot of kids who, you know, if you weren't really familiar, you might say, you know, wow, that's, that's an angry young person. That's, you know, somebody maybe you should be concerned about. But Nobody in, in those scenes were, was really doing anything because that was the outlet. It was heavy music. It was getting together. It was, you know, you kind of found your own little community there. I Finding that outlet, being able to point somebody toward that, how important is that everywhere?
2: What I know, so what I do is I immediately try to locate a parent, an aunt, a supervisor, a teacher, a social worker, someone who can help that child um, cope with the bullying and basically get help in the school to speak up. Um, That sometimes is an intervention that helps young boys that are extremely angry about, you know, what's happening in their life and I also try to basically figure out a way to get them to therapy because most of these kids don't get any therapy. They're described as loners and they're left as loners, and no one no one helps them. the The ability to get to therapy is only in some of the best of the families. Most most people do not have the capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he can you know. Maybe, maybe if he got help as a really young child, he wouldn't have gone down that really antisocial path. Um, I'm sure he had something called antisocial personality disorder. I'm sure he had oppositional defiant disorder and a whole multitude of disorders that caused someone um, to snap like that and to ob- absolutely hate children the way he probably did.
0: Sarah, uh, thank you for the call. Sorry we're uh, short on time, but I think you had some great insight there. I, listen, again, I want to make clear, like I did at the top of the show, I, we're not trying to sit here and say that we have the answer, you know, that any one of these things is going to prevent this from happening in the past or happening again. What I think we're trying to do is talk through this, all together find some things that will help and find some things that might be able to help you in your personal life you're listening to brian Mazarowski. i'll be back on wben welcome back brian Mazarowski, here with you until about 10 o'clock uh thanks for joining me being with me um kind of trying to talk through what's happened over the last week and a half um thank you for your messages your calls 803-0930 to take part uh you know i want to be clear A comment came in on the text board about the last caller making excuses. Nobody is making excuses for anybody. Uh, Certainly nobody is going to be making an excuse. I would be stunned for these shooters. Absolutely not. But if you want to try to address the problem, you, you kind of have to understand what the problem is if we're going to try to achieve some sort of solution. So uh, there is a big difference between understanding and excuses. Eight hundred three oh nine thirty to join me. Uh, Sue in Lancaster, you're on WBEN. What's on your mind, Sue?
3: Hi, Brian. Um, a lot is on my mind, but I'm going to take the parent angle because... I'm a parent of four grown children, and I'm going to say parenting is hard. If it's not hard, you're not doing it right because it is in the trenches 24-7. When you mentioned the video games, it really struck a chord with me because when my son had a friend over to play, um he was there for about a half an hour, and then he went home. And I said, what happened, thinking something happened? No, he went home so they could play a video game together. It was a single-player game that this boy had to go home to play with him. that That's, you know, the start of what, why are we separating these kids? When my boys would have friends over to play, I said, all right, two hours outside side equals two hours inside of video games it's not come over and play four hours of video games you need to balance it and I just really think that listening to your last caller I agree you need to have your finger on the pulse um, of what is going in on your kids lives you need to keep that line of communication open so that you notice if there's a behavior change that's a red flag you jump on it It would be so easy just to let them go in their room, play their video games, and you think, like you said, your kids are safe. No. The TV and the video games is like inviting a stranger into your home. Would you let somebody you don't know just come in and sit in the family room with your kid? Absolutely not.
0: And, Sue, it's hard to think of it like that because that's a new thing. I I mean, the, the game used to be exactly that, right? It was a game. Now the game is anyone in the world talking to your kid in your home. And that's that's new, and it's hard to kind of keep your finger on it. So you remind me what you're saying. You remind me of uh, the – I don't know if you've ever seen The Sandlot. Uh, you remind me of the mom in The Sandlot, right? Um, the kids sitting around uh, playing – it wasn't video games back when that movie was set. It was like a, a Kinex or an Erector set. And, uh, you know, she – kicks him out of the house and says go get into trouble you know what what mom are you going to hear say that and it it's almost like the same dilemma different times
3: yep yep but it i it's you know you're not comfortable i'm not throwing parents under the bus you know and you certainly won't say but as a parent i am saying Boots on the ground. you got to be in it. My, my kid was bullied. It was daily conversation, daily conversation. And it, it was hard, but it, it, parenting is hard, you know?
0: Hey, Sue, appreciate the call. Um, yeah, and again, look, these aren't solutions. These are, you know, trying to piece together part of the problem. And you could say something as simple as pay attention, it's not always that easy. How would you, how, how would you let your kid, you know, uh, just sit there in front of the screen for, you know, five hours a night? Like, well, I mean, I thought he was safe at home. I didn't want him running around uh, the city doing who knows what at midnight. And I could be understanding of parents who are on, Both sides of that conversation. It's tough. Julian is in North Tonawanda. You're on WBEN. Julian, what's on your mind this morning? What are you thinking about all this?
4: I have all I can do to contain myself. I worked in a school for 40 years. I was transferred to a couple of schools. And I can tell you exactly what they're doing wrong. I'd love to talk to these people that are trying to lock up doors, do this, do that. It isn't going to do it. They have to get to the people that work the buildings. I know every hiding place in the school in Tonawanda. One woman says, how could somebody be in the school for six hours and nobody know? When you got five rooms to a boiler room that are wide open to the outside, what they need to do is put a security system in like we have in our homes. And they have to have cameras in there. Yeah, I know it's going to take money. And I can hardly talk. I feel so sorry for these people. And if the cameras do not belong in the groundskeeper's office, where he can keep track of the cleaners, they need to be kept where they can keep track of people coming in and out of the buildings. If you had a security system wired to every window, Every door, and you had cameras up there. Then you'd have a security school system. Our schools are not air-conditioned. They have the windows open. Every window in every classroom is open. I went in classrooms 10 o'clock at night to clean. The windows wide open. Go in, a back, go in a locker room. The door that went out onto the field, darkest pitch in there, wide open. I went and got somebody to come in and help me check out the locker room before I went in. This is what's going on. And the kids, they can go out the door. They can lock all the doors they want in the school. Kids go out. They take a little piece of paper. They block that door so the little latch won't latch. Anybody can come in. If they had a room, like I have my panel here, the minute I go to—I look at that panel, if that light isn't green, I know there's a door jar someplace.
0: I appreciate the call. I, you know, I think the... The one thing that is I'm thinking about when I'm listening to you is it's something I was talking about with Steve McMartin off the air when he was in studio here. Is uh, you know, it's a point I brought up yesterday. You, you look at the distance between Buffalo and Uvalde, it's greater than the distance between London and Kiev. And we can't just assume that everything looks the same, right? I mean, I go into some of these schools are, I mean, it's like locked down. You feel like walking into some sort of prison, right? But then you can't assume that that's what school is like. A school with lax security exists. A school with no security exists. And in between here and the state of Texas, how many different examples of what that looks like are you going to find? and is it reasonable to think that when we talk about school security, I mean, that's something that it's done on a local level. It's unreasonable to have the conversation on, you know, this national level of school security and what's done here and how it's done over there. It's You're never going to get everything to look the same because this country is so big. And there's so many schools in between. And, you know, you're talking about the safety aspect of this. And that the soap opera is playing out. You're seeing it in Washington. You're seeing it, uh, you know, yesterday when uh, the governor of Texas was speaking. You're, it's the normal points. Before anybody knew anything. You saw the same familiar faces jump online to, I mean, predictably say exactly what they're going to say. Um, I did find one, you know, Senator Mike Rounds, he's a Republican from South Dakota. Uh, He said this in response to a push for new gun control laws. He said, quote, it's one thing to say that regardless of facts, you should just do something. The question is whether something you would do would actually make a difference. And you know, I don't know Mike Rounds. Have to be honest with you, don't know his motivations behind the statement. I don't follow South Dakota politics very well, so I can't tell you what his intentions are. But taken on face value, I, I mean, that seems to be true. When we're looking at school security, when we're looking at changes to gun laws, or, or something like that, I what is actually going to make a difference because if you fight 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 for some change and you get that one thing but it doesn't make a difference in the end what good is it one of the things i keep hearing is this idea of expanded background checks you know to make say what we have here in New York state the law federally and that's pretty popular but it also has practical limitations And there's not too much evidence that they make a big difference, even if it is a good idea. There was a study done in California. They had an expansion of background checks in 1991. They looked back in 2019 and found that it wasn't associated with any sort of change in gun deaths over the ensuing 10 years. You have both of these recent shooters pass background checks. And that's not to say that a background check isn't a good idea, because I think it is. But what troubles me about the conversation around it is you get the feeling people are pushing for this. You know, they call it common sense gun reform. And on many levels, they're right. But then say that it gets passed at a federal level, maybe it gets passed in more states. They do that, and then we did it. We're done here. See ya. So it doesn't mean it's not a good idea, but to expect it to change the problem just like that, I don't know if that's the right expectation to be putting. On this, You know, somebody on our text board earlier this morning was talking about the background check idea. And they suggested getting rid of HIPAA laws so that background checks will work better, so more things would pop up. I found that, you know, amazing that somebody would suggest. I mean, would you rather give up your right to medical privacy really? instead of... Limiting access to certain weapons? And that seems kind of crazy to me. I I think that would be crazy to think for most people. We have here Governor Kathy Hochul said she wants New York to raise the age to buy an AR-15 rifle to 21 years old. It's up from what it is right now, 18 Um, The 18-year-old shooter the other day used an AR-15 rifle that he bought from a store legally. That was also true of the 18-year-old here in Buffalo. It's also typically true of mass shooters in general. The list is long of people who have used that weapon. And most school shootings between 1970 and at least 2020 were done by 16- and 17-year-olds. So that, to me, seems like it would be a common sense. And then you hear this idea, well, you send war to people at 18. You're going to tell them you can't buy a gun here? And, you know, I kind of think, well, yeah, maybe. I, You can't own a lot of things that you would use in a war. Where does that argument stop? Grenades? Machine guns? And that, that's one with a lot of holes in it. So maybe that's the, the difference. Steve McMartin was our in-studio guest this morning, and he said, well, what's the difference between uh, an 18-year-old and a 21-year-old? I, If I'm looking at the numbers, apparently a lot. Because when it comes to schools, the numbers fall off a cliff after the age of 18 as to who is doing this. So maybe that's one way. But going back to Mike Rounds from South Dakota, I think before people get behind one thing in particular, you do have to ask that question, whether something you would do actually will make a difference. Go to Brenda in Buffalo. You're on WBEN. Brenda, how are you this morning?
5: I'm very well. Uh, We had my cousin's funeral yesterday, and... uh... Each day is getting better, and I still like I said, I want to thank everybody for their condolences and and their love.
0: Brenda, you're I, I have to ask the outpouring of support. I, I mean, all the people who were there for your cousin. does that I, does that warm you you at all? Uh, you know, it's still so raw, I would imagine, but to see how many people wanted to show up and either support you or just say thank you
5: it warmed my heart very immensely it it even with the president's visit i i've seen some negative things politically things that were said however i uh, i looked at his visit as a as a as a welcome and 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 a caring and a compassionate visit i that's the way i look at it and anyone that showed it, and, and even just the outpouring of people, just being there and to, uh, and just there. And the, we just all just appreciate it. And I'm sure, you know, even the other families did. I even met Jennifer Waring, Warrington, who was one of the shot, uh, victims shot. And uh, I embraced her, and we talked, and we cried. And it was really it was, really very, it was very uplifting. It was very, it, everything is very warming to me. I finally got a chance to even go on Jefferson. I hadn't been up there because, and went up there, and I just kind of, just for a minute, just thought and looked. But I just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going through it, <laughs> coping, you know. I, I, there's nothing more I, I can say, but I just thank everybody. I thank, on behalf of the Salter family, I thank everyone, everyone um. that support their love and show compassion. Even those that maybe not physically did it, but thought or even just thought about it so pray, sent a prayer up.
0: I'm happy that so many people showed up. Um, when you hear the conversation, the, the people looking for answers, uh, looking for a solution, w- what do you think?
5: I don't know. I I um, I, have, I have no idea. I worked in the school system, and I I, I just I don't know if we're ever going to solve this um, this problem um, of the guns or different things because t- to be honest, my brother who was nineteen was killed at the was killed uh, was shot. However, the gun that shot him was not a stranger; it was it was a loved one. So I have never really advocated guns unless there is a very severe a very to make sure that even gun owners t- go through maybe some step of, uh, of getting clarity that they, sh- that they should still have those within their person.
0: Brenda, appreciate the call and I uh, hope you're doing well. Thank you. That's uh, Brenda in Buffalo, cousin of Aaron Salter. Uh, we heard a few of the words from his service yesterday. Uh, we'll be um, continuing here on WBEM with David Bellavia next. Uh, Joe Beamer, you'll hear him a little bit later on, but thanks for being with me. Brian Mazurowski, I'll be back here tomorrow, same time, same place, um, even starting way earlier if you want to get up at 5 with me. Appreciate it. Uh, here on WBEN. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone.